0: Good morning, and welcome to our morning service.
1: Welcome to our morning service. Psalm 133,
2: a song of ascent, of David. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard running down on aaron's beard down on the collar of his robe it is as if the dew of hermon were falling on mount zion for there the lord bestows his blessing even life for evermore Enjoy seeing and hearing from different members of our church family each week. And during the week, we're all called to serve God in many different situations. Last week, we heard from Don Luke about the challenges facing our NHS workers. And this week, I spoke to Cheryl Couchman about the situation for our teachers. And we're going to hear that now together. Hi, Cheryl.
0: Hi team, how
2: are you? Good, thank you, thanks for joining us. You're
0: welcome.
2: We've all been hearing about schools going back on Monday, but just before you talk about that, we know also that actually they haven't been fully closed over the last while, so maybe you could just start by telling us how the lockdown experience has been for you and what your work responsibilities have looked like?
0: Yes, well, our school has been open um, and as a staff, we've been put on a rota to go in and look after vulnerable children and the children of key workers. So periodically during the last couple of months, I've had to go in and and do that, um, which was nice to see the children. Um, But then when at home, we've been encouraged to work from home as much as possible. So I've been able to do some online training courses at home And also I was asked to take home um, all the folders of our children who have special educational needs um, and give them a complete overhaul, sort them out, reorganise them. And some of the folders are thicker than others and uh, that's kept me busy for quite a few hours over the last few weeks as well. But on the whole, obviously, I've not been as busy as I normally would when I'm physically out working the building. There's been plenty of time to relax as well. So, yeah, that's, that's what it's been like.
2: Thank you. And so then uh, Monday obviously more kids will be involved, we assume. So what are your responsibilities going to be like when you go back next week?
0: Yeah, so um, we've got year six and year one and reception coming in. Um, And normally I'm a TA in year six. Um, But from Monday, when we go back, I'll be teaching one of our Year 6 bubbles um, up until the end of the academic year. Um, We have 10 children um, in each class. Uh, The classrooms are set up for that many. We can't safely have any more than 10. but we do have some staff off um, that are shielding themselves or members of their family, um, so there's not quite enough teachers to lead these bubbles that we're calling them. So yeah, I've been asked to lead the year six one um, for the for the summer term.
2: Okay, and so then in terms of praying for you, and, and not just for you, but for other. Uh, members of the church who are involved in teaching and the schools work, what are the challenges and opportunities that we can be praying for?
0: Um, well, personally, um, many of you know I'm quite scared of technology and a real uh, technophobe, um, so just that as I'm in class with the children I'll be able to manage the technological aspects of um, using the interactive whiteboard and um, the computer because the other staff won't be allowed to come into the room to help me, Um, so I need to to be able to manage that, really, to effectively teach the children. Um, But really, the challenge for for all staff and children is just going to be getting used to the the new routines that are really very alien to us and with very tight restrictions. Um, I'm sure many of you have seen on the news um, staggered start times, tables separated, children eating lunch in classrooms, not allowed to touch, not allowed to play with equipment, not allowed to read um, reading books, and literally everything has been taped up. So it is going to look very foreign and very alien to them. So, um, and it is going to be alien not to be able to just walk near to them. We've been asked to try and not wander around the classroom, to try and stay at the front when we're marking books, to hold the pen halfway up, so that your hand's not resting on children's books and just the complete opposite to how we would normally be so it is going to take some of getting used to for children and for staff so prayer would be appreciated for that um, but I think we are going to have a real opportunity to share the gospel with the children and share our faith and talk about Jesus um, I'm really thankful that I've got a Christian head teacher and she has emailed all staff asking them to ensure that everyone takes time to pray with their bubbles uh, and encourage the children to place all their fears and their worries at Jesus' feet. Um, So prayer again for the staff who may not find this um, comes naturally to them and may feel a little less confident with that uh, because that's a lovely opportunity to have and because we are a Church of England school, uh, whereas Dawn's not able to share, We we are able to share our faith and talk about Jesus and um, so pray that the children are receptive to that and and it becomes more natural to them as well to to know that God's in control and realise that they can uh, share their worries with God. That's a real opportunity. Obviously, it would be great if people could pray for the safety and well-being of the children and staff and and all the children's families at this time. Um, I know a lot of them are very anxious about coming back to school and some of them have chosen not to come back. Um, I pray that even in this really difficult time that the children will be able to benefit from coming back to school and they'll be able to find it an enjoyable experience, we'll be able to make it positive for them, even though it's all going to be very strange and and different. I think those are the main things really to pray for. I have got a verse which I'd like to share uh, with the church, if that's okay, just uh, that God is good even in these difficult times. He's still good to us. Um, And I found a verse in Nahum, uh, chapter 1, verse 7, that says, the Lord is good a strong refuge when trouble comes, he's close to those who trust in him. I think it's good for us all to remember that at times like this, isn't it, you know, God's still good, and we just need to hang on in there.
2: Thanks Cheryl, thanks, you've given us plenty to pray for and that encouragement as well. We will be praying for you on Sunday morning, and I'm sure the church as a whole will be as well, so thanks very much for sharing that with us.
0: Thank you for giving
2: me the opportunity. Let's pray. Father, we heard earlier from your word that it is a good and pleasant thing when your people live together in unity. And we realize that true unity involves knowing and caring for one another. And this morning we pray especially for our teachers and those who work in other roles in schools. We know some have been continuing to work in various ways during the past weeks, and others will be returning this week or maybe even the week after, and we pray for them as they face the uncertainty of how things are going to work with the limitations of their particular school buildings and the setup and also how the various rules are going to be put into practice in their uncertainty we ask for your peace we pray for cheryl as she faces mastering the technology in the classroom alongside her increased responsibilities we ask you to give her a clear head whatever happens and we thank you for the amazing opportunity there is in cheryl's situation to pray and to speak about Jesus. We ask you to work through that, to lead children and teachers to put their hope in Jesus. We know also the majority of those who work in schools don't have those kind of opportunities. And so we ask you to help them to work well in their own situation. Help them to witness for you in the way they work alongside their colleagues and deal with challenges together witness through them also in the care they show to the children and we pray for all of the children who are going back as they walk into a school setup that's so different will you help them to be at ease will you give them maybe a new appreciation for what they usually have and we pray for those who are not going back we pray that they won't feel left out and that they can continue to learn well while they're still at home. We pray that in all of this, you will bring an openness within people of all ages to recognize you as the only firm place to stand in this life and our only hope for the next life. By your Holy Spirit, will you open their hearts to the truth that you are good, You are a refuge in times of trouble, that you do care for those who trust in you. Amen. Our next two songs pick up on how significant it is to know Jesus Christ, and also how important it is for others to come to know him. We'll sing, All I Once Held Dear, and then, Lord, the light of your love is shining. Music mm-hmm. a bible turn with me to ephesians chapter 4 ephesians chapter 4 and we're going to read verses 1 to 16. paul writes as a prisoner for the lord then i urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, And before we try to understand what this passage is teaching us, we need to remember the structure of this letter. We've tried to show that structure in the title of this series Identity and Life in Christ. Chapters 1 to 3 are about identity in Christ. As we've read them together over the past six weeks, hopefully you've seen something of who you are if you belong to Jesus. You're blessed in so many ways. God chose you before the creation of the world. He has given you His Holy Spirit. He has provided you with a risen, reigning Lord. Jesus Christ is over every other power. That's who you belong to. God has rescued you from a living death and given you a new life to live. He has made you part of a new humanity a supernatural community. Men and women reconciled to God and reconciled to one another through faith in Jesus Christ. And this new humanity we heard displays God's wisdom to the universe, to human and to spiritual powers. God created the church and the church shows off his greatness like nothing else. And last week, Paul summarized it all by saying, we are loved. If you want to sum up your identity in Christ, that one word will do it. You are loved with a divine love that surpasses knowledge. So those three chapters on your identity give you a lifetime's worth of material to focus on. They're worth a lifetime of your attention. There's a lifetime's worth of hope and reassurance and confidence to be found in Ephesians 1 to 3. Those chapters don't tell you to do anything. They're all about what God has done for you. They're the foundation for your life as a Christian. You can build your life on the truth of chapters 1 to 3. And that's what the second half of the letter is about. Building your life on the foundation of chapters 1 to 3. Chapters 4 to 6 are about life in Christ. You can see that from chapter 4 verse 1. Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. We've come across this phrase live a life before in this letter. Literally, the word is walk. In chapter 2, we heard about how all of us used to walk. We walked according to the ways of this world, and those ways are ways of rebellion against God. But chapter 2 went on to tell us God saved us to walk differently, to do good works which God has prepared for us. And now we're going to hear what those good works are. But first Paul reminds us, we don't approach these good works hoping they will earn God's love for us. Chapters 1 to 3 have told us, if we are trusting in Christ, God already loves us deeply and eternally. He has called us out of darkness and death, into light and life. And now, having received all of that freely from God, here's how we live in response to that calling and all the blessings that go along with it. If we had our musicians in the corner, I would ask for a drum roll at this point. Here is what it means to live out your identity in Christ. It means loving Christ's church. There might be more to say about life in Christ. There is more to say, but this is the first thing to say. According to Ephesians chapter 4, loving Christ's church is the primary, it's the crucial ingredient for living out our identity in Christ. Now that might come as a surprise to those who call themselves christians but don't have any commitment to the church but it will not come as a surprise if we've heard what paul said in chapters 2 and 3 about god's own commitment to the church and how central the church is in god's plans and when we hear this phrase loving christ's church we need to be clear this is not primarily about feeling good about the church. It's not about saying, isn't the church great? I just love the church. No, what Paul means by loving the church is much more than that. It involves real commitment on our part. Each time the word love is used in this passage, it's calling us to show our love in specific ways. Verse 1 reminds us Paul himself is in prison because of his commitment to the church. That's the length he has gone to in his love. Of course, we won't all be called to show our love in that specific way. But this passage does give two particular displays of love that we are all called to. First of all, it tells us that loving Christ's church Involves a commitment to preserve the church's unity in Christ. And then, second, loving Christ's church involves a commitment to increase the church's maturity in Christ. So, first of all, loving Christ's church involves a commitment to preserve the church's unity in Christ. You can see that in verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Notice how this unity is not something we are called to create. God has already created it. We saw that in chapters 2 and 3. Through Christ's sacrificial death on the cross for sinners... God has created one new humanity. It's made up of all those whose sins, have been, whose sins have been forgiven through faith in Christ. So as Christians, we are not called to try and create unity. Our calling is to keep it, to preserve it. And that implies, of course, it's possible not to keep it. It's possible to live in a way that denies our unity in Christ. And if we're told to make every effort to keep our unity, then we know keeping our unity must require effort on our part. It takes effort because it involves things that don't come naturally to us. Verse 2 says, Preserving unity requires humility, gentleness, patience, and bearing with one another. We might say putting up with one another. None of that comes naturally for any of us. Even the quiet ones among us. If we're quiet, we can be just as proud and harsh and impatient on the inside as other people are on the outside. In fact, sometimes the grudges we carry around quietly in our hearts can be way more destructive than the ones we announce Loudly to people. So let's not think that we are automatically living a wonderful Christian life just because we never say anything nasty. Just because we never actually punch someone in the nose. This is a call to humility and gentleness and patience on the inside as well as the outside if you or I live with bitterness toward a brother or sister in Christ, if we have a simmering resentment in our heart, we are not helping to preserve the unity of the church. We're not strengthening what Paul calls the bond of peace. We're not truly loving one another, we're just acting like we love one another and an act is impossible to keep up for very long. Even film stars who have a reputation for staying in character all through the making of a film, they can't keep it up forever. Rowan Atkinson doesn't behave like Mr. Bean when he's at home. At least I assume he doesn't. It would be funny if he did. But for him, it's only a performance. It's not who he really is. And the point is, in the church too, we can only pretend for so long. If you and I are truly going to help preserve the church's unity, we need a commitment to relate to one another with genuine humility, gentleness, and patience. So how do we pursue that kind of genuine love? How do we make every effort with this? Well, the answer is so simple, we could easily miss it. We show true commitment to preserve the church's unity in Christ by remembering what we share in Christ. You and I tackle our pride and our harshness and our impatience by reading and recalling and chewing over the truths of chapters 1 to 3. We can't truly bear with one another in love just by sheer willpower or biting our lip or avoiding each other. But we will be able to do it as we work the truths of chapters 1 to 3 over and over in our minds till they begin to slide down and take root in our hearts. And here in our passage, in verses 4 to 6, Paul summarizes those truths of chapters 1 to 3. There is one body. The church is one in Christ. There is one spirit. We all share the same Holy Spirit of God. We were all called to one hope. We're all heirs of the same eternal inheritance. God's new heaven and earth, where together we will experience his unshielded presence. We all have one Lord, the risen, reigning Lord Jesus. We have one faith, meaning we believe and we put our hope in the same truths about Jesus. He's the Son of God who died for our salvation. We share one baptism. I take that as a reference to all that's involved in turning to Christ. So it's not just the public act of baptism, but it's all that baptism stands for. Turning from our sin to Christ to receive cleansing and new life. Whatever different paths our lives have taken, whatever different experiences we've all had, we all share that same core experience of turning to Christ and being changed by his power. We are united in that one baptism. And we all worship the same God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Do you see how focusing on that unity we have can begin to melt away our resentment of one another. Do you see how remembering those truths can drain away any sense of superiority we might have towards others? As we really grasp what we share together in Christ, how could we continue to be harsh and impatient with one another? How could we feel to bear with one another? As different as we are, as many annoying traits as we might see in one another, what we share in Christ is greater and it's more significant than all of those differences. So that person I might find so annoying is a person God loves just as much as he loves me. God has poured out the same grace on that person as he has poured out on me. Chapters 1 to 3 are as true of that person as they are of me. That's the reality. But you and I will never be changed by that reality unless we keep coming back to it and keeping it in mind. So initially when we read these chapters, we love them for the great personal encouragement they give us. And then as we continue to read those chapters, we also begin to understand God's love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Try reading chapters 1 to 3 with those brothers and sisters in mind, not just with yourself in mind. And that understanding will help us play our part in preserving the church's unity in Christ. How can we attack? How can we look down on these people we share so much with? Such great eternal things. And just before we move on, these verses also show show who we are not united to. If someone denies the foundational truths of chapters 1 to 3, if they don't believe these things, then there's no unity in Christ for us to preserve. If someone calls themselves a Christian, but they deny that salvation is in Christ alone, won by His bloodshed on the cross, if they deny that salvation is offered to us through God's grace alone, received through faith alone, or if they agree to those truths but haven't embraced them for themselves, then, of course, we still have no excuse for being harsh or unkind to that person, but we're wasting our time if we try to preserve a unity that isn't even there. True unity comes from sharing in the realities of chapters 1 to 3. And when that unity exists, we must be committed to preserving it. Then if verses 1 to 6 of this passage are calling us to preserve what's already there, verses 7 to 16 are about developing something that might barely be there. They tell us that loving Christ's church involves a commitment to to increase the church's maturity in Christ. In these verses, Paul speaks about building up. He talks about growing up. And he tells us we all have a part to play in that. Look at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives, and gave gifts to his people. Paul is drawing here from Psalm 68, and he's applying the words of Psalm 68 to Christ's victory over every evil power in the universe. Christ's descent is mentioned in verse 9. That seems to be a reference to his incarnation, leaving heaven to come and die on this earth but he's now risen and ascended. He has returned to heaven to reign with power and authority over all. In verse eight, he took many captives, is literally, he captured captivity. In other words, he triumphed over sin and death and hell and every power that might enslave us. And from that highest position of all, Jesus Christ now distributes gifts to his people. What kind of gifts? Well, in the context of this passage, we're talking about gifts that help the church grow up and be built up. Gifts that help to increase the church's maturity. And Paul gives details of that in verses 11 and 12. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Sometimes in the history of the church, there's been this idea that ministry is done by the professionals the clergy, and the rest of the church is there just to applaud from the stands and to pay the bills. That has been a popular view at times. And at first, verse 11 might seem to support that view. It lists five kinds of people Christ gave as gifts to his church. The apostles and prophets are probably those who gave us the New Testament They had a unique role to play, delivering the truth about Jesus, which was then written down for every other generation. Then evangelists are those who took that message and proclaimed it far and wide. And pastors and teachers work in local situations. If we're wondering what the difference is between pastors and teachers, it might be that While all local church leaders are called to pastor in terms of protecting and caring for the church, some of those leaders may have particular responsibility for teaching God's Word. In any case, we might read verse 11 and begin to think that ministry in church is just for those people to do. But then look again at verse 12 tells us God gave the five kinds of people in verse 11 to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Verse 12 tells us church leaders don't do all the ministry. Their ministry is to equip the rest of the church to do it. We all have a part to play in building up the church. So what do we do? Do we cook meals for each other? Cut each other's grass? Give each other lifts? Do the shopping for one another? We might do all of those things, and they're all great things to do. It's wonderful to hear how much of that is going on at the moment among us. It is a genuine indication of love for one another. But those things are not what Paul has in mind here when he talks about the works of service we're to do for each other. For one thing, we don't need pastors and teachers to equip us for cutting grass and cooking meals. But we do need them to equip us for the work that's described at the end of verse 13. The work of building up the church until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. The service you and I are to do for each other is not primarily to help each other in practical ways, although that is significant. But our primary service is to help each other know the truths of chapters 1 to 3. That's what Paul's referring to in verse 13. That's what maturity looks like. Knowing those truths deep down in our hearts so they direct our words and our actions. And we all play our part in increasing the church's maturity by telling each other the truth about Christ. Look how Paul expands on that in verse 14. The greatest service we can do for one another is not making sure our lawn is nice and our fridge is stocked, as helpful as that is. The greatest service we can do is to help one another know who we are in Christ. Because, verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. That's a picture of spiritual immaturity. And it's miserable. Just take a moment to imagine the picture Paul is painting. He's telling us when we don't have a grasp of our identity in Christ, we go through life like a little child Who's bobbing around helplessly on a violent, terrifying ocean? Every situation has the power to capsize us and put us under. Success can flip us right over into all sorts of pride and ugly superiority. And when difficulties come along, they can overwhelm us, make us feel like we're drowning. Troubles can make us ready to accept the weirdest, wackiest ideas. Whether those ideas are dressed up to sound vaguely Christian, or maybe even ideas that bear no resemblance to Christianity. When we don't have a firm grasp of our identity in Christ, we will fall for anything. When we don't understand what God has done for us, we will chase after any fumes of hope and comfort we can find in other places. And when we're unclear about our identity in Christ, the devil can bounce us all over the place with his lies. It might be the lie that we're not good enough for God, that he couldn't possibly love us because of all our failures. Or it might be the opposite lie that we're actually a cut above those other Christians He's seem to be so anxious all the time and never able to pull themselves together. If we think we're better than the rest or worse than the rest, then we need to grow in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God. And so the greatest way you and I can minister to one another is by telling each other the truth about Christ. And when we do, verse 15, instead of being immature, so we get flung around by life's circumstances, so we chase after every self-help fad that comes along, or every new teacher who isn't teaching the Bible, instead of that, verse 15 says, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We all have a part to play, and that part is to tell each other the truth about Christ. We all need to learn that truth more deeply. We all need to be reminded of it for the rest of our lives. Because none of us grasp it well enough. And all of us are prone to forget it. The truth gets buried in the midst of our busyness. Or it gets crowded out by the other things that demand our attention every day. So long as we are alive, we all need to keep hearing the truth about Jesus. And so we all need to be speaking the truth about Jesus. That's what we are called to do, but how do we do it? That's where all of us struggle. None of us are going to deny that this is important, but we feel daunted by it. We're afraid it's going to be unnatural or awkward. So let me suggest two ways we can begin to stick our toe in the water with this. First of all, let's do it in the way we pray for one another, both in private and when we're praying together. It's so easy in our prayers for one another to settle for just listing each other's ailments, in our prayers, and asking God to heal them, or listing each other's difficulties and asking God to take them away. And there is a place for that. But God doesn't always heal, and He doesn't always take away our difficulties. And even when He does, He doesn't often do it immediately. So here is another dimension we can add to our prayers. Let's pray for one another that in our illness and in our difficulties, we would know the depths of God's love for us. That we would find our security not in our health or our comfort, but in the truth that our Heavenly Father has chosen us in Christ before the creation of the world. That in Christ, we are heirs to an eternal inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. Let's pray that in our wealth, if we have it, and in our success, we remember we have been saved not to live for ourselves, but to live for God who has prepared good works for us to do. In other words, let's pray for each other that we would take to heart and rest in and be motivated by the truths of chapters 1 to 3. Let's add that dimension to our prayers. One writer has said that our prayers tend to be medically informative, but spiritually impoverished. They tend to be full of details about bodily ailments of one kind or another, but not full of a whole lot of spiritual truth. So let's begin to change that. If initially we find it hard to have conversations about the truth of the gospel, Let's start by filling our prayers with those truths. That we would find our hope in them whether or not God heals us or takes away our difficulties or gives us success. That's how Paul prayed. We've seen two of his prayers in this letter already. In chapter 1, he told the Ephesians, I'm praying that you will know God better. I'm praying that you know the hope To which he has called you i'm praying that you know his power in chapter 3 he said i'm praying that you appreciate the presence of jesus more that you grasp god's love more paul doesn't even mention a change in their circumstances and that doesn't mean we should never pray for a change in circumstances In other places, the New Testament does encourage us to pray along those lines. But as a whole, the New Testament gives us more encouragement to pray for each other's knowledge of God. Knowledge that enables us to rest in God even when life rages around us like a troubled sea. The New Testament is less concerned with taking away our troubles as it is with us being changed in the midst of our troubles. Made more like Jesus. And that change happens as we grasp more of our identity in Christ. As we see, it's an identity that no trouble can ever take away from us. So as we think about telling each other the truth about Christ, let's start with the way we pray for each other. The more we pray along these lines, the more natural it will be to talk along these lines. My second suggestion is to carry this into our home groups. Hopefully we come to home groups, or at the moment we join our home groups online, with the expectation that we might talk about these things. That that should make it a little easier for us. It's kind of an open goal for us when it comes to telling each other the truth about Christ. Wherever we are in the Bible, whatever passage we're looking at together, to some degree, it will touch on the truths of Ephesians chapters 1 to 3. After all, Jesus told us the whole Bible is about him ultimately. So as we discuss whatever passage it is, let's not be embarrassed to remind ourselves of these core truths. We don't always have to pull some new truth out of the passage. Most of the time, what's there is a reminder of something we already know but we've probably forgotten it in the busyness of the week. And when you and I remind each other of the truth, we don't have to use a special voice. We don't have to use special words. We don't have to organize what we say into a little mini-sermon. We can just say it in our own words, in our own way. Helping our brothers and sisters in Christ Remember who we are and what we have in Christ. I realize some of you listening today may only just be learning these truths about Jesus for the very first time. If you're coming to this for the first time during this weird season that we're living through, then you may be feeling, well, how can I really participate in what you're talking about? I haven't been able to go to church yet. I don't know other Christians. In that case, I would encourage you to take on board what we are talking about this morning. Take it to heart. And commit that when going to church is possible again, you will put this into practice. You'll join a church and participate Because as much as we talk about this situation being the new normal nowadays, it's not normal. We mustn't begin to think that this way of doing church is normal. I encourage you to get in church with us, get in touch with us through the website. We'd love to talk to you if this is new to you. And many of us though, we can begin to put these things into practice now as we keep in contact with one another. Let's all take to heart this call to love Christ's church. Let's do that by preserving the church's unity as we remember what we share in Christ. There's no place for pride or harshness among us. And let's love the church by increasing its maturity as we tell each other The truth about Christ. With all of that in mind, our last song is a prayer. It's a prayer that our Lord Jesus would renew us as a church and that he would lead us on. Lord of the church.